document. Um, you know, over the summer, uh, we, <clears throat> we have looked at uh, uh, attributes of God. You know, we have looked at uh, different ones, such as holiness of God, the immutability of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God, and, you know, many different attributes that we have looked at. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, there are some other attributes uh, that we didn't really get to cover or uh, think through. So today, I'm just going to uh, just consider uh, a couple aspects of God, the attributes of God, the greatness and the perfection of God. And this passage that we just read in Deuteronomy uh, is part of a song that Moses sang in the hearing of the assembly of Israel. And by this time, he was 120 years old. Well, he's a pretty old guy, right? And he had no strength left in him. And he knew that his time was up on this earth. And he uh, appointed Joshua as the new leader of Israel. And this is before they were crossing over the Jordan, right? And soon after this uh, song and this passage, God takes him up to Mount Nebo and shows him the promised land because of his disobedience in, in the journey, in the wilderness for 40 years, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. But at least God showed him what the descendants and the people of Israel uh, will inherit. And then after that, Moses is gone to be with the Lord. And before his waning moments on earth, here, Moses says, ascribe greatness to, to our God, and he declares that God's work is perfect. So we're going to look at these two attributes. The first point, obviously, is that God is great. Do we have that? Okay, uh, I, I don't know if you have that. Yeah, so God is great. Um, now, this attribute does not quite strike a chord with us because we often fail to understand the magnitude of his greatness. In a passage, like in the passage that just last couple weeks, he just talked about being wowed by God, being just mesmerized and being mar- just be reveling and just marveling at, uh, at how great God is. And I think the reason why oftentimes we fail to do so is because we don't really understand how great God is. And also, another reason, I think, is because the word great, it is so entrenched right, in our vocabulary, everyday vocabulary, that it loses its meaning when it comes to our understanding of the greatness of God. Because we use that word all the time. How was your vacation? Oh, it was great, right? I had a lot of fun. Have you watched Squid Game? It was a great show. Right? I mean, we use that word everywhere. Right? And we use it just about everywhere. And, you know, even when we, how we feel, I feel great. Right? Man, this is a great atmosphere. So let me ask you, when I said God is great, what was your reaction? Like just before, as soon as I said, God is great, what was your reaction? Most likely, meh, right? you kind of shrug it off. Yeah, God is great. 
Tell me something that I don't know. Right? Scripture is clear that there is only one God. There is only one God, and He alone is great. All other beings or things are totally dependent on Him. No being or thing in this universe would exist without Him. We would not be here if, we were, if it weren't for God sustaining us. The reason why we are still breathing is because God has been sustaining us. He has been uh, providing everything that we truly need in our lives. He alone is great. God is great. And if that were the case, then how could we ever attribute greatness to any being or thing? Any other being or thing. How can we attribute greatness to anything else? From our vantage point, greatness of God is diminished because we use that word so often everywhere, right? So basically we use it to describe anyone or anything that is pretty exceptional. I mean, there is this that uh, that, that, that ongoing, like, the GOAT debate, right? Who is the greatest of all time? Michael Jordan, LeBron James? Is Tom Brady the, the greatest, like, you know, GOAT of all time in, in, in American football? There's this always talk about debates about the greatness, right? But see, the greatness of God is in a completely different category altogether from any other quote-unquote, greatness. When, scriptures uses, when Scripture uses the word great, vast majority of the time, it is used to describe the surpassing greatness of God. Great is His power. Great is He. Great is His work. Right? Almighty is the power of the cross. Scripture uses the word great. Most of the time, it is associated with the attributes of God, who He is and what He has done. Rarely, it's used for people or things in the Scripture. So biblically speaking, the word great is almost exclusively used for God, the awe-inspiring, exceeding, overwhelming magnitude of who God is and what he has accomplished. Now, I'm not saying that we should never use the word great in any other circumstances. That's not what I'm saying, right? But I think when it comes to Bible and when it comes to our spiritual life, right, I think we should be a little more discerning or have a better understanding, right? The greatness of God. God is great. He's exceedingly extraordinarily beyond, bigger in magnitude, the scope and everything. That God is great means, it also means that a comparison should not be made between God and any other creature or thing. We cannot compare God with anything in this world that is known to us. 
Oftentimes, I, um, and that's what Paul Washer says too, and, uh, you know, I, and I look back and how, what kind of comparison have I made to God in something that I would relate to? And the first thing that came to my mind was the sun. Like, you know, I remember when I was a youth pastor, you know, early on, yeah, I would just kind of compare God. Like, you know, God is like the sun. You know, when you look at the sun, you cannot look at God, I mean, look at the sun with a naked eye, and you're going to go blind in like a couple minutes or whatever, right? God is like that. He's like so pure. He's so, you know, the power is just so overwhelming that we cannot look at God directly, right? That's how holy God is. And so I would use like objects comparing God to something like the sun, right? We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't even make that kind of comparison because God is that much greater than anything that we can even imagine. Right? As a self-existent and infinite creator, he is infinitely above his dependent and finite creation. Even the sun or any other thing that you can think of, it is far above And when he say God is great, it also means that he is incomparable. We should refrain from com- comparing God to any um, being or thing. So even the mightiest archangels, right? whether it be Gabriel, Michael, what have you. right? Because even in the Bible, when you see the Bible characters, when they encounter the messengers of God, the first reaction was that of fear. They didn't say, oh, hey, are you Michael? Are you Gabriel? Man, that's so nice to meet you. Let's take a selfie together. This is really cool. No. All the people, they were deathly afraid when the messenger of the Lord appeared to them. And we cannot even just make comparison because even as mighty as those archangels, they are still God's creation. God is far above, far greater than even the most, you know, uh, anything that we can, that would just um, cause us awe in us. So the implication is that we should be careful in ascribing greatness to even Bible characters or even those in church history Somebody like Moses, David, Elijah, Paul, right? John Calvin, Billy Graham, what have you, right? We should not say, oh, these are great men of God, great women of God, right? Because in the end, they are all these people that we may respect and esteem highly. They are still weak fragile, broken people whom a great and merciful God has used for his purpose and for his glory. Because oftentimes when we like kind of put them on pedestal, it's because, whoa, you know, whoa, we're unworthy of these guys. These are such a great exemplary people, right? And then we somehow ascribe greatness to these people as exemplary as they may be, still, they fell short. We cannot, we should really be careful in ascribing greatness 
to people. Because God alone is great. Psalm 145, verse 3, says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. It refers to that which is beyond investigation or inquiry. When there was an uh, the, the attack on the, the Capitol Hall in, in, in January, and there was, like, you know, there was calling for like, the inquiry, right? That we need to investigate. Or any other like, worthy events. Like, hey, 9-11, right? Let's just dig in and see what exactly happened. But when it comes to his greatness, it is beyond inquiry and investigation. It is unsearchable. It is a thing that cannot be searched out or measured. We cannot simply Google it out. It is actually better to count the sand on the seashore, all the desert, and then you try to, and also it's better to count the stars in the sky. It is better to do that than to measure the greatness of God. With our finite mind, we kind of try to like measure the greatness of God. His greatness is unsearchable. I mean, um, actually think about the most uh, joyous moment, right? Uh, or the most painful moment that you had in your life. Think about for a mo- moment, whether maybe, I don't know, um, really like the, diff- the most the, the most difficult moment that you had or the most joyous moment that you had. Now, when you think about those like really like a defining moments or like such a, uh, it brings so much like, emotion into our lives, right? Can you measure that? Can you measure the, how painful it was? Can you really measure that? Can you really put a price tag on those moments? If, as mere creatures, that we cannot truly measure it out, right? How much less concerning, concerning the greatness of God? We cannot truly measure or figure out the greatness of God because He's so far above any one of us. The height and the depth of His love is beyond really our understanding. And it is really unsearchable. The magnitude of his holiness is beyond comparison. The reality of his glory is far above the capacity of our comprehension. That's how great our God is. His greatness is unsearchable. We cannot try to just make, uh, just like thinking of greatness that we think of in human terms, and somehow bring God's greatness to that level and somehow make a connection and say, okay, that's how great God is. That is not to be. So how should we uh, respond to the greatness of God? If God's greatness is so unsearchable and beyond measure, how should we live in light of his unsearchable greatness? It tells us in verse 3, right? Proclaim, sorry, where is it? Verse 3 says, 
I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. Proclaim His name. In other words, bless His name. Praise His name. Fear Him. Right? Revere Him. Make His name known among the nations. And honor Him with our lives. That's what we are called to do. When the scripture declares that God is great, because God's greatness is far above any one of us can ever imagine, respond in, in that way, to bless, praise, proclaim his name. And the second point is the truth that God is perfect. God is perfect. In verse 4, it says, the rock, his work is perfect. His work is perfect. The scriptures teach us that God is perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Not only his works, but also his person is perfect. His works are perfect because he is perfect. Right? An imperfection cannot create perfection. Only the perfection, something, someone who is perfect, the perfection only comes from a perfect being. And when we say God is perfect, we usually think of, uh, think of it in terms of um, his moral character. Right? He's perfectly holy, he's perfectly righteous, he's you know, in, in, in moral character. But his perfection goes beyond him being morally perfect. He is perfect in every aspect of who he is and what he does. So there is no possibility. There is no possibility of defect in him. Right? No, no possibility of defect. You know, like I, I bought a, a, a new car because my old car was like leaking. The sunroof was leaking. So I, I bought a brand new car. And soon after, if it's a brand new car, you would expect it to just work, you know, expect everything to work, function properly, right? But then I start seeing this, like, you know, really annoying uh, message, right? And it says, like, your phone, like, privacy setting is, uh, no, your privacy setting is, like, uh, it's not really on, so you have to go and just adjust or something. So I was just trying to figure it out, just reading the, the owner's manual, couldn't figure it out. So I took it to the dealership. They couldn't figure it out. I went there five, six times, five, six different times over the span of three months, right? I even got the, the rental car from them to, can you please just take it and just uh, figure it out? And I even, so it, they couldn't figure it out. So they uh, referred that to the headquarters, right? Um, so even the headquarters person looked at it and said, we don't know what's wrong with it. There is something, uh, and he, he basically blamed my phone because I had a really old, old phone at the time. So it's because maybe the technology has so advanced that your old phones, like the privacy setting is not, you know, syncing with the, 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 the new car or something, right? See, there, even with a new car or something that is very new, there are defects, right? Now I have to live with it, right? But... But the perfection, but when it says God is perfect, right, there is even a hint or the possibility of defect in God, 
the perfection of God is closely related to the immutability of God, that God does not change. God does not change because He is perfect. He cannot become better than He already is because He's perfect. And He cannot become less because that means He would cease to be God. right? Because the perfection it's his very nature. It's not something that he tried to put on, right? He is perfect. So he cannot change because change means there is some, uh, an area that where he was lacking. There had to be some kind of improvement. You know, every few years, we have to upgrade our phones, right? So I finally I did, right? I was just holding on to my uh, dear phone for many, many years, and finally it basically died on me, right? And so, um, but you know, so we, we have, every few years, we have to upgrade our phones, even laptops, because the improvement, improvements are being made. And we need to, you know, just uh, have updated security. I, I remember like, uh, you know, well, any, anyways. Um, so there is no such thing as, I will do better next time with God. For us, whenever we do so- certain things, Right? Even if we think that we execute it to perfection, there's always room for improvement in our job, right? performance, and whatever. Right? There's always, we can say, there's always room for improvement. Let us do better. It was great. It, we did great, but let us do better. Right? I will do better. I will be better. You know, we can say that to our spouses all the time, you know, I will be better. I will do better next time. But there is no such possibility with God. Everything that he is, everything that he has done, everything that he will do, there is no possibility of God, shucks, I should have done it better this way. There is no such thing. Because God is perfect, he will not change. Nothing can be added or subtracted from him. Not even a like, slight hint. So when it comes to his love for us, it means that he cannot love us any more than he does right now. And he cannot love us any less than he does at the moment. And I didn't really know this for a long time. As, as um, simple as it may sound, I didn't know this for for a long time, I grew up believing that how much God loves me depended on my performance. If I was praying and doing my quiet time consistently, then I believed that God would love me more because I was doing it. But if I was slacking off, I felt guilty. I thought that I was a failure, that God was not pleased with me. So, therefore, because he's not, you know, he's not too happy with me, I thought he would love me less. So, my whole understanding, orientation of my Christian life, it was all about me doing things for God. It was really all about me. It all depended on me. How much God loves me depended on how well I was doing. God was simply... God would simply wait and react to how I was doing. So this has led to legalism and religiosity in my life. I've been church, 
I've been to church all my life. But, you know, like growing up, I was very legalistic. I had all this high standard that I had to just live up to. It was a laundry list, long list of do's and don'ts. So a lot of what I did was motivated by fear. Oh, man, if I don't live up to this high standard, then he can't, he, I felt condemned. I was like, man, what kind of Christian am I? Does God really love me? So I was always motivated by fear, a sense of condemnation, and at times, self-righteousness. Oh, look what I've done. Oh, I've been just really keeping up with my quiet time. I've been praying so consistently. Oh, I was waiting. You know, so somebody would just, you know, as, as a good Christian, you should you know, just pray three hours a day just like Daniel, like one hour in, in the morning and in the noontime and then in the dinner time. Three hours. Oh, my gosh, how am I going to ever pray three hours a day? I'm not a good Christian. I'm not a really like, you know, you know, mature Christian, always felt guilty. If I just by, you know, miracle, if I did that, I felt so, look at me, oh, self-righteous, looking down on people. So what kind of, you call yourself a Christian and you don't do that? My whole, even though I heard it, I knew it, that God is perfect, but deep down inside, my understanding, my theology, my understanding of God and his love was really seriously flawed. And I used to have a hard time, because of that, I used to have a hard time understanding the parable of the prodigal son because I was, the, I was that older brother. When the younger son came back, the father rejoiced, but not the older son in the parable. He was angry. And actually, you know what? That was my reaction. My reaction was the same as the older brother at the time. Because like, to me, it was like, man, that's not fair, right? I mean, this guy, the older brother, he slaved away all these years, staying with the father, doing what his father was asking him to do. And when this worthless brother comes back, he rejoices and there's a party in the house. This, is, this just doesn't sound, this is not right. It just didn't make sense to me. Because all my life, I thought it was all about just making sure, just put your head down, put your just head in the sand, and just keep chugging, chugging along and doing things that I am supposed to do, God tells me to do. Right? It didn't make sense to me how I missed the point of the father's love. When the son returned, the father did not demand that he get his life straight first before approaching him. He did not say, well, since you wasted all that money that, that I gave you, you know, I cannot really love you like before. I cannot love you like that, like I used to. You have no idea how much of a heartache that I had to endure because of you. Right? You think you really deserve my love, same kind of love? I will love you in time, but not right now. The father's love did not diminish or fluctuate because of what this son has done. He always, always loved his sons because they were his sons. 
reflecting the love of God for us. Perfect love. When God loves us, His love for us is perfect. So when, what that means is it's not up to us to cause more love from God. Somehow we can milk it from Him by us just trying harder. Then God will love us more. If we are slacking off then, man, God is so ticked off and He's not going to really love me. That I'm just constantly in this like battle of this long line of people, Christians, and when I'm doing well, you know, I don't even dare to go to the front line, but at least maybe I'm moving up in the line to get a little closer to God. But if I'm slacking up, oh boy, I'm just sliding back, right? Moving back in the line. God will not really notice me a whole lot because there are far, so many other great Christians out there that are doing much better and God's love for them will be greater. His love for us, Scripture tells us, is unconditional and perfect. It's counterintuitive because that's not the kind of love that we have experienced in our lives oftentimes. What we have experienced is conditional love. When we do certain things at work, the bosses are pleased with us, right? You guys go through the, the performance review, right? If you do well, then they're going to be happy with you and you will get your reward in the form of bonus or, you know, just a promotion and what have you. Even at church, at times, we seem to care more for the people who would do better or like that, are, uh, that, would, that, that I'm doing. Yeah, we, we uh, kind of, you know, in, in a way, like a lot of our relationships are like, you know, you know I'll scratch your bag if you scratch mine, right, first. So that's the kind of like uh, love, love that we have experienced. So it's counterintuitive. But you see, the truth is that God's love, the perfect love, does not increase or decrease based on our deeds. Because God's love for us is perfect. Definitely, the fellowship and the intimacy aspect of it, it will suffer if we do not walk with God. That is true. But the love that God has for us does not fluctuate. Ask any parents here, right? If you're child, you know, it's not really that doing well. Are you going to stop loving him or her? No. You would still love your you know, child just the same because they are your son and daughter. Right? You know, as verse 4 says, his works are perfect. You know, all that God has ever done or ever will do in the universe and each, in, in each and every one of us, is perfect. There are no oopsies with God. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that we are his workmanship. And Psalm 139, verse 14, I think we have that, right? Yeah. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. We are not a mistake. One of the most cruel things that we can hear from other people is that we are a mistake. Right? You are a mistake. You shouldn't have been born or you shouldn't have been here. Why are you here? You are a mistake. 
that is such a devastating thing that you, we can hear from someone else. The thing is, the enemy uses that tactic and whispers the same thing in our ears at times. Right? You are a mistake. We are not cosmic accidents who somehow ended up here by chance. God knew exactly what he was doing when he created us, each and every one of us. And when he called us to be his own. His work is perfect in us. Not just in this creation, in the universe. But the work that he has done in us. How he created us. The way we are, how we are wired. Our personalities and all of these things. God's work in us is perfect. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Because when you hear that from somebody, know that it is not from God. That's God's work in you. Because the scripture tells us his work is perfect. Right? And he will accomplish what he has purposed to what he has purposed without fail. So Paul Washer says that the perfect God is doing a perfect work in you, in us, to make us perfect, right? And I like that, right? The perfect God is doing a perfect work in us to make us perfect. Yes, we are not a finished project. Yes, we are not perfect yet. We all know that, right? We are still very flawed, broken vessels and people, every one of us. But God has begun a good work in us, and he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's doing his work, and the progress, the work he's doing, even the pace he's going at, is perfect according to his purpose for his glory. Some of us may be frustrated with the progress that's being made in us or in other people, especially as pastors. Sometimes I have to confess that sometimes I get frustrated at myself and also in other people. It's like, oh, man, I wish they could, you know, be a little more, like, mm, you know, just be more serious about the Lord and, like, the progress and all these things. But I have to be reminded that God is doing his good work. And a perfect God is doing a perfect work in each and every one of us, to make us perfect one day. And it is true. As imperfect and unworthy as we are, God is working on us. And this is our hope. We are not there yet, but God will one day make us perfect. God will one day make us complete, setting us completely free from the entangling sin and conforming us to his image. And that's the day that we are to look forward to. And that is our Christian hope. And when we say God is perfect, it also means that his will is perfect. There is no miscalculation or like kind of just-in-case kind of scenario with God. You know, like uh, a few years ago, back then, the Washington Redskins, right, there was some like uh, 
growing like a grassroots movement, especially among the you know the Native Americans and all these people. Hey, you know, like calling that, that calling that football team, the Redskins, it's kind of derogatory. It's, it's kind of it's a little offensive to us, the, uh, the Native Americans. So they and there was a call for uh, that the team to change its name, consider changing its name, because it was you know culturally kind of like offensive and whatnot. And then the, the infamous owner, which I shall not name, because uh, I'm not happy with him either. I mean, it was even before, like, he told, when he took over the team, he totally messed up the team. And so that's why, like, you know, I don't even watch, you know, football, man. Thanks, thanks him, thanks to him. I don't really watch it because it's no fun. I mean, I used to just, like, follow, follow that football team, watching the football team. But at that time, a few years ago, when there was, like, uh, all this, like, pressure, he tweeted out. We will never change our team name. Never. All capital, meaning he was shouting. He was so emphatic. There's no way because whoever says, I don't care what you say. I mean, the billionaires, I mean, the NFL team owners, they're billionaires, right? I mean, they're just basically coining money. And why would he, yeah, why would he listen to anybody else when he's making so much money off of the team? And he said, he tweeted out to everybody for the, for the whole world to see. We will never change. I don't care what you guys say, but last year, because of all the social thing that has happened, like the, the, uh, the, the sponsors of the team, like the big, these big corporate corporations, they, they threatened to basically drop their sponsorship. So there would be a huge financial loss. So finally, right, he caved in and said, okay, even though he said, well, never, right? He totally mis miscalculated you know, what, uh, what was going to happen, right? So now it's called Washington football team. I heard you know, they are considering a couple like team names now. But it's taken like two years, right, even to come up with a team name. But there is no such miscalculation with God. His plan for us, his will, his plan for us is perfect. And therefore, it is his, he is worthy of our absolute trust. He does not keep moving the goals, goal posts. We are not to lean on our own understanding or do things according to our logic. We are to trust him, absolutely trust him. You know, these days we don't have a whole lot of people coming out to Tuesday prayer meetings. Um, but you know, like, it encourages me uh, to, to be in the prayer meeting because over the years there were so many answered prayers that God has um, answered. Right. We simply trusted God and God would, in his time would answer a lot of the prayer, uh, prayers that we lifted up. I mean, I asked his permission, but like June, for example, you know, like... Um, a couple years ago, he was really struggling because, you know, he, he always had a dream of, you know, or just wanted to really consider being a doctor. And so he, you know, he studied and studied and then just took his um, MCAT. But, you know, it wasn't like what he really wanted. So he had to, you know, he decided to just do one more year. So I was like, we were just praying for him. And it's like, oh, Lord, please, you know, just, uh, you know, just pray for, you know, just favor and just uh, direction in his life. And. After one year, I was like, you know, inside, I, I'm sorry, but I was like, oh, man, 
to pray another year for this? So, you know, it's like, I wish God would just like, you know, just, you know, answer our prayers right away and so that he can just get into the, uh, to the Mexico and just, it's now up to him. You know, God let him get in there. Now it's up to you to just, you know, do well. And so, well, it's another year. But even during that time, like, he really struggled. I said, is this all right? Should I, you know, put in another year of preparing for like MCAT and just like going through this whole grind again? Um, and towards the end, uh, on, the, on the year when he applied, and there was like no response, and like we didn't know what was gonna happen, and you know, there was like a talk of like maybe you should consider like you know exploring different options. Should you know his uh, application to this med school nearby uh, it fell it falls through? And so, but you know, we would pray, right? But in my mind, I was like, oh man, is this gonna? I don't know, like, you know, my logic says, maybe you should stop praying, right? And just maybe I should just talk to him and just encourage him to, like, look for other jobs. Like, maybe you should just try, like, IT boot camp, right? Just like Joshua, Josh did, and then just, you know, get a good paying job or something. But we kept praying, right? And against my, you know, understanding, you know, God allowed him to get into the, to the med school, right? And it's doing well, because I, I ask him every week, he's like, hey, how'd you, did you pass your exam? And he's like, yeah, I did. And so, but I'm like, we are not really praying for you anymore, because <laughs> like, you are on your own now. But anyways, um, so one thing that taught me is uh, the prayer meetings, um, that uh, it's beyond our understanding. God, you know, we are not to lean, uh, we are to really lean on him, trust him, because God is perfect. And so, you know, my prayer for all of us is, you know, as we, um, you know, consider uh, his attributes, you know, let us remember that he is a God who is exceedingly, surpassingly great, a much greater God than we could even imagine. But turn to him, lean on him, and understand all his ways are perfect. God is perfect. His love for us is perfect. His will and his plan for each and every one of us it's perfect. Even though we may have planned out things in our lives, by this time I should be married. By this time I wish that I should have this kid. By this time I should my 401k should be this much. By, by you know my like, my golden years in life, you know I should have this much accomplished. We may have all these plans. But what really matters is God's plan for us. And even if we may not really go along with our own plans, God has a plan for us, and His plan for us. Whether we like it or not, it's perfect according to his purpose, according to his will. So may we submit ourselves to him, continue to look to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to you uh, at this moment. And Lord, uh, as we considered your greatness and your perfection in our lives, Lord.